My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. You've already met Marley and uh, Brad, and Brad's leaving with uh, with the junior hires right now. Uh, Brad kind of got a running start start on the scatological humor this morning. I don't know if you noticed that, but I did. And yeah, well, no more of that. You are in for a real treat now. Not that Brad isn't, but a real treat today. Hey, I just uh, have a pleasure to uh, introduce uh, our speaker today, and she's not a guest. She's a part of the church here. Most of you have uh, met uh, Lydia Shepherd Kaiser before, but today she's going to come and continue and finish our series on simple. Been talking for several weeks about a variety of ways to simplify our life to make room for what really matters, and uh, Lydia is going to share with us today. So, Lydia and Kyle, it was about five or six months ago that you moved here and became a part of Evergreen, and uh, you guys both went to George Fox University and you met there and graduated and married. And uh, Lydia, you returned uh, to get a graduate degree at George Fox Evangelical Seminary. Uh, you're a licensed four-square minister. You've served in sister churches of ours in Yakima, Washington, and in the North Seattle area. And we are thrilled that you're here. Now, we invited you, Lydia, to serve as the young adults pastor. But I have to tell you, folks, we kind of pulled a fast one on Lydia. The first week was here. She was here uh, with uh, soccer camp. And the second week, it was kids camp, and the third week it was junior high camp, and we just said to Lydia, young adults are really young around here, but actually most of your time and attention now is giving for young adults that are a little bit older and a little bit taller. Lydia has worked really hard by preparing herself with skill and practice and ability, and more recently in crafting the talk that she's going to give today, and you're going to recognize and appreciate God's gifts and her skill in her lives. But you know, At a time like this, the presenters work hard, usually 20, 30 hours on the 30 or 35-minute talk that's given. But our confidence is that beyond our talk, that each of you are going to receive a message. And it's the message from God that he has specifically for you. So coming out of his word and by his spirit today, beyond the great talk that Lydia is going to give that I know you're going to appreciate as I do, You're going to hear from the Lord. Would you open up your hearts to what God has to say for you? And would you open your hearts to Lydia? And with your hands, would you welcome her today as she comes to speak to us? That he has specifically for you. So coming out of his word and by his spirit today, beyond the great talk that Lydia is going to give that I know you're going to appreciate as I do, you're going to hear from the Lord. Would you open up your hearts to what God has to say for you? And would you open your hearts to Lydia? And with your hands, would you welcome her today as she comes to speak to us? Well, good morning. It's so good to be with all of you. Thank you so much, Ann and Jared, for the opportunity to be up here. It's so wonderful to see all of your faces from this angle. So, um, <clears throat> Ann opened up the series by challenging us with uh, simple eating. I don't know if you remember that, but that was a painful week for me. Um, and then the second week, we talked about simple spending, so kind of an oxymoron, but Jared kind of fleshed that out for us. And then last week, we talked about reducing our possessions. So this week, we're going to talk about time, simplifying our time, which, again, may be an oxymoron for you as it was for me as I started thinking about and preparing for this talk this morning. So we're going to look at clearing out our schedules and focusing 
on what Jesus would have for each of us individually in our current seasons with our plans and our schedules, especially around the holidays, right? I mean, we're getting close to Thanksgiving and Christmas and we have all of these agendas and things that we need to get done. But I want to preface my speaking to you this morning by admitting to you that I am a student teacher. So that means that I don't have this perfected. That means that I am right along with you in needing the Holy Spirit to help and guide me and mold me in this area. In fact, this is a constant theme in my life that I feel like God recurs and challenges me with. I am obsessed with organizing and planning. So I may have it a little bit crazier than some of you because I actually like to plan and schedule my time, but there's something that I've learned in these past couple weeks as I've been preparing. Just because I'm a planner doesn't mean I'm disciplined. Just because I'm a planner doesn't mean that I necessarily use my time wisely. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but I love to buy calendars. So I, um, this is a great time of year because the new calendar is about to come out. So I do the old school written calendar. I don't put it in my phone. I love, I get a new one every six months because I just like them. And I have a box of all of my old ones. I do not throw them away because they tell me what I did for the past like years of my life. And they're just so important to me. They're crucial. So my husband can attest to this. I'll like go to Paper Source or Fred Meyer or Target to find a new planner every six months. And I just love the smell of them, like the new paper, the fresh ink that I get to write it in. It's amazing. So some of you put it into your phones and we'll talk about that more later. But, um, Through putting this message together, I just really felt uh, convicted that I, I too, need to work on this. So please hear that this morning. I'm merely a mouthpiece. But the big idea for this morning is this. Jesus wants to direct your time because you become what your calendar is full of. Jesus wants to direct your time because you become what your calendar is full of. So let's read scripture this morning, Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. It's going to be up on the screen. Now, as they went on their way, he, meaning Jesus, entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So when Jesus comes to Mary and Martha, he's at a point in his ministry where he's on high demand. He's been performing a ton of miracles, which you can see in the passages before. He's got people who want his time. They want healing. They want face-to-face. They want questions answered. So when he goes and retreats to Mary and Martha's house, I think he really is looking for relaxation, a little R&R. And I think his first mistake was that he went to get that relaxation at a pair of sisters' house. And if any of you have a sister, you know, like, the bickering that can happen, especially if you're wired differently and you have two different ideas of what getting things done might look like. So Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house. And what's interesting is Mary and Martha are clearly juxtaposed in their responses to Jesus, right? We see Jesus says clearly and kind of painfully, if you're you're the Martha in the story like I am, she's, your sister Mary's chosen the better thing. 
And Jesus, Jesus says this, you know, I think with love, but I think he's very clear. Like, this is not what I want from you. I'm here because I want connection and time. I don't care if your bathroom's not clean. I don't care that the, if the meal's ready or not. I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. So Mary has chosen the better path. But I want to point something out to you that I had not noticed until preparing for this message. And it's the context of this passage. And I can hear my seminary professors, context, context, context. So we need to look at Luke chapter 10 in its entirety. So preceding these particular verses, we have 37 verses until we get here. There's two major stories that I want to highlight to you. And the first is the story of the sending out of the 72. And the second, a little further down in verses 25 through 37, is the story of the Good Samaritan. So we have these two powerful stories of helping, healing, sending, going, doing. And then we come down to verse 38 and we have this passage about being and about residing and spending time with our Lord. And I breathe a sigh of relief because I usually really don't like the story of Mary and Martha because I know who I am in the story and because I'm always like, well, yeah, but we have to get stuff done. So for those of you who are like me, I want you to feel a little bit better because you need to look at the context of the whole of scripture. So, but this morning we are going to focus on being and what that looks like and spending time with the Lord because that is so crucial. It's about balance. I think, you know, the Bible, it shows us this is about balance. We want to send out the 72. We want to heal the sick, but we also want to sit at our Lord's feet. And we also want to be able to know when it's time for connection and and revitalization and, and being filled up with the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to be wise in how we spend our days because our days turn into weeks, which turn into months, which turn into years, which turns into a lifetime. I know some of you parents can probably relate to this. I've heard it said before that the days are long, but the years are short. We need to be far more cautious in how we use our time. This is such a precious and limited resource. We need to give as much attention to our time as we give to our finances. Time is valuable, and we never get it back. Jonathan Edwards, a Protestant preacher and theologian from the 1700s, said this, Upon time, we should set a high value and be exceedingly careful that it not be lost. And we are therefore exhorted to exercise wisdom and circumspection in order that we may redeem it. Time is exceedingly precious. So this morning, I want to ask you three practical questions. The first is this. Is your schedule working for you? Is your schedule working for you? The second, what would your schedule look like if God was in charge of it, completely in charge of it? What would your schedule look like? And the third, who do you want to become? Or maybe more importantly, the question, who does Jesus want you to become? As long as I can remember, I have gotten bored very easily. I grew up in a house where I was constantly entertained and constantly on the go. And this was even before, you know, like iPads and all that. This was just, I just always had something to do. So I'd get off of school and I would go to swim lesson or I'd go to soccer practice or I'd go um, in high school, you know, ASB or write for the school newspaper or go to my piano lessons or my voice lessons or community theater. I mean, the list goes on, you guys. If you've, I've probably tried it. I've probably done that activity at some point or another. 
So I was socialized and my personality, because I wanted to do those things. My parents didn't force me. But I was socialized to become very busy. And time was not a concept, I think, even as a kid, you, you understand. But especially for me, I didn't realize how full my life was until I started uh, to go off to college and have to make my own decisions. But I have long believed that if I could fit it into my planner, then I could do it. I don't know if any of you can, can relate to that, but I look at my schedule and I say, oh yeah, I can fit that in. Yeah, that'll work. But what I've learned in the last couple years is that my planner doesn't take into account the emotional and physical toll of those activities. And it certainly doesn't take into account what Jesus would want me to do. So is your schedule working for you? Friends, it is so dangerous to get burnt out, to become depleted, to become exhausted. And I'm sure probably every single one of you can can say you've experienced that at least once in your life. But how does that happen? How does burnout happen? How does exhaustion happen? Sometimes it's just circumstances. You have a brand new baby. You know, that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And that's a season of your life you're in. But oftentimes it's because of our choices. Oftentimes, we put ourselves in emotionally draining circumstances by choice. Oftentimes, we fill our calendars by choice. Our time feels as though it's gotten the best of us, when in reality, we've really had control of it the whole time. It was our yes, or it should have been a no. William Penn, an early Quaker and founder of the province of Pennsylvania, said this, Time is what we want most, but what we use worst. There's a wonderful article published by the New York Times a couple years ago, and I wanted to share with you a little excerpt from it. And I believe it was called The Busy Complex was the name of the article. And there's actually a lot. If you were to type into Google when I was thinking about there are so many articles, you guys, about our world, and specifically America, and our busy complex. So this is a a little excerpt from that. People are busy because of their own self-imposed ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence. Busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. I don't know how many of you might be able to relate to that, but (laughs) there's also this wonderful story that I'm going to share with you this morning of a professor who really wanted to teach his students a great lesson about time management. And we're going to watch this video and you can see what he's talking about. There's a well-known story about a university professor who wanted to make a point about how we make the most of our time. The professor stood before his class with some items in front of him. When the class began, without speaking, he picked up a large, empty jar and proceeded to fill it with rocks about two inches in diameter. He then asked the students if the jar was full. They agreed that it was full. So the professor then picked up a box of pebbles and poured them into the jar. He shook the jar lightly and watched as the pebbles rolled into the open areas between the rocks. The professor then asked the students again if the jar was full. They chuckled and agreed that it was indeed full this time. 
The professor picked up a box of sand and poured it into the jar. The sand filled the remaining open areas of the jar. Now, said the professor, I want you to recognise that this jar signifies your life. The rocks are the truly important things, such as family, health and relationships. If all else was lost and only the rocks remained, your life would still be meaningful. The pebbles are the other things that matter in your life, such as work or school. The sand signifies the remaining small stuff and material possessions. If you were to put sand into the jar first, there is no room for the rocks or the pebbles. The same can be applied to your lives. If you spend all your time and energy on the small stuff, you will never have room for the things that are truly important. Pay attention to the things in life that are critical to your happiness and well-being. Take time to look after your health, play with your children, go for a run, write a letter to your grandmother. There will always be time to go to work, clean the house or watch TV. Take care of the rocks first. The things that really matter, set your priorities. The rest is just pebbles and sand. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I think if that video had been done um, from a Christian perspective, I think that's basically what it's saying. I think we need to be way more cautious about how we spend our time. We need to seek the will of the Lord with our schedules. If you put the God stuff in first, if you put the rocks in first, and then fill in with the sand and pebbles, you will likely become the person God wants you to be. But most of us put our schedules together, or the sand and the pebbles in first. We start with the have-tos, and when we get the whole list done, we just pray to God that he'll make it all work out. Henry Nowen, who's one of my absolute favorite theologians, said this, If I were to let my life be taken over by what is urgent, I might very well never get around to what is essential. And while I love this exercise, I do want to point out a flaw. I think it's a pretty big flaw. This jar, right, this metaphor of the jar and the rocks and the sand and the pebbles is great. And it works if you need to just reprioritize, right? But in reality, there's probably a lot of us here who actually need to just get rid of some stuff. So it's not a matter of putting the rocks in and then the pebbles and then the sand. It's not a matter of how you do it. It's a matter of getting rid and eliminating some things altogether. Because if you were to have too much sand or too many pebbles or too many rocks, it wouldn't, that, that metaphor wouldn't work. It still wouldn't fit. Does that make sense? So when we look at our schedules, we need to figure out if there's things that just have to go. We have to look at our time and ask the question, who does Jesus want me to become? How has he made me? What has he told me my priorities need to be? And then start adjusting. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given. Then purposefully eliminate and add where necessary. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be misled. God is not mocked, for you reap what you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. 
So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. If you sow busyness, you will reap exhaustion. If you plant purposefully, you will reap fruit. How we use our time not only has temporal consequences, but I'm convinced that it has eternal ones. The power of a written commitment on a calendar, the redrafting of a personal schedule, the inviting of the Holy Spirit into our planning process is massive. Your calendar, my calendar, plays a critical role in determining who you will become. Typing one word into your calendar phone on a weekly basis could change your life. It could change your marriage. It could change your relationship with your kids. An example, we probably all can think of someone who has the turnaround story, right? I was here and now I'm there. I lost, you know, I lost 200 pounds in between or I was on drugs and I was in prison and now I'm a successful businessman and father. And we all go, wow, that's so amazing. What's, what's the common denominator between those people? Aside from God's incredible grace and power, which I'm not trying to demean, Aside from that, there's something, time, and a commitment to change. We all have 1,444 minutes in a day. I know that we have people here from all different walks of life. We all come from different places, but there is one thing that we all have the same resource, and it's time. We all have the same amount. Life isn't fair, but it's fair in this category. We have the same 24 hours to live. And I believe that we are all given the same amount of time so that we will all be accountable to God for what we do with that time. So who do you want to become? Maybe you want to become someone who isn't so anxious and chaotic about money or someone who can keep up with their kids Maybe you want to have your marriage increase in health or you want some addictions to be gone. I'm going to let you in on a big secret. Jesus wants those things for you too. He wants to see you become that person. He wants to partner with you and lead you. So we need to sit down with our calendars and ask ourselves, what is it going to require to become you fill in the blank? What is it going to require to become a great parent? What is it going to require to get good grades? Maybe you want to become financially stable. What is it going to require to be connected to my spouse, to have deep friendships, to be close to God? What is it going to require to become, you fill in the blank. It's going to require time, and it's going to require a commitment. Some of you maybe need to look into different things you can put on your calendar on a weekly basis. Counseling, date nights, Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you need to take a night class. Maybe you hate your job and you just want to go a whole new direction. Maybe you need to go and take a a class that you're interested in and, and have that spark something in you. But truly, the miracles will begin to occur and the chains will begin to break and the change will start to happen 
when we live out a commitment on our calendar, when we give our time to the Lord. You and I aren't going to become someone fundamentally different than we are right now unless we put commitments on a calendar and live them out. When you sit down to rewrite your schedule, you are making choices that have far greater implications than any of us could even imagine. Our schedule needs to be far less about what we need to get done and far more about who we want to become. Use that filter of who do I want to become when you look at your schedules, when you plan out your weeks. What investment of time will it take for me to be a great parent, to be a great wife, to be a great pastor, to be a great student? I don't want to be average. I don't want to be subpar. I want to be extraordinary. And so what is that going to take, God? What, what time do I need to give? I want to help you, though, breathe a sigh of relief because I know that this can feel overwhelming. I know that as I, even as I speak it, I'm, you know, I'm convicted as I was preparing for this and as I'm speaking and I go, man, I, you know, there's some reprioritizing or there's some things that I need to eliminate. But I want to help you feel a little better this morning by telling you that your schedule does not need to look like the person sitting next to you. Your schedule doesn't need to look like everyone else's. You're in your own season. You have your own needs. Personalities are a huge factor. And there's a lot of people who led really interesting lives who, throughout history, who did extraordinary things. They had weird schedules. One of my favorites is Winston Churchill because he would take up to a two-hour nap every single day. That was written into his schedule. I can get on board with that schedule. But he was brilliant. He was fantastic. And how countercultural that he's like, I'm going to take a nap every day. Worked for him. Might not work for you, but it worked for him. These people, they experimented until they found what works. They found a formula that worked for them. The power of individualization. You do not have to conform to any societal standard or etiquette. It just has to work for you and for God. It just has to help you keep on your path of who God wants you to become. Psalm 90.12 says this, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us how to count what counts. Teach us to care about what you care about. Help us to know what matters and what doesn't. What needs to take precedence? I am convinced that when we go to meet Jesus face to face, we're going to have to give an account for what we did on his time while we were on his earth with his breath, using his resources. So the bad news is time flies, but the good news is you're the pilot. So it wouldn't be a, um, a good talk about time if we didn't talk about some of our biggest time wasters, right? So I want to address something that is... Um, it's painful. <laughs> and it is our addiction to technology and how it is clearly a time waster in the majority of our lives. So we're going to bring up a graph here. And this was just done in 2014, so it's, it's fairly recent. Americans use electronic media 11 plus hours a day. And it's, it's color-coded nicely into the different types of media. Reigning in, in first place is of almost five hours a day is TV. 
Next, we have radio. So every time you get in your car or when you're at home, the radio's on for two hours and 45 minutes, and it just decreases, as you can see from there. So that's one study. The next study that I wanted to show you was America's growing smartphone addiction. So this is a percentage of American smartphone owners who check their phones at least several times an hour. So my people, the millennials, are in the 18 to 29, and we, no surprise, have the highest percentage on the list here for checking our phone uh, at least several times an hour. About half of us do that. And about almost a quarter of us check it every few minutes. And then you can see 47%, 33%, 11 and so kind of predictable, you know, for the age range as far as what the amount of time spent on a smartphone is. And I was thinking about this, and it reminded me of a comic that my dad gave to my mom because he has one of those, like, little daily calendars, and he tore it out and gave it to her, and it's this. And she put it up uh, in our kitchen. It says, it keeps me from looking at my phone every two seconds. (laughs) Yes. So as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, Anne challenged us last week about taking inventory of our possessions in our house. And I thought, I want to take inventory of just the electronic possessions I have in my home. And so I did and figured out that we have three cell phones. My husband has a separate one completely for work. We have one TV, we have one laptop, and one Blu-ray player. I was like, that's pretty good. Like, for a millennial, I'm doing really, you know, really well. (laughs) Some of you uh, probably have iPads, multiple laptops, a desktop, TVs, a Wii, projectors, satellite dishes, fitness trackers, sound bars, a DVD system in the car, Apple watches, and the list goes on, right? That's, some of those sound pretty familiar. I know, you know, Jared has a, a technology addiction, and he's, he's coming out about that today. <laughs> According to the Consumer Electronics Association, back in 2013... Americans own approximately 24 electronic products per household. 24. So I would challenge you, maybe you want to go home and take a, take a gander, take a little check there. If you, I said in the last service, if you can't count it right now, that probably means you have too many. Um, and according to another recent article that was put out by the Associated Press, teens spend roughly nine hours a day consuming media that isn't including what they, they use for school or for homework. Dr. Ed Hallowell, who's a specialist in ADD, said this, and I, I love it because I can relate to it and it makes me laugh, but it, it stings. He said this, We've created a new addiction. The addiction to technology. You see people compulsively reaching for their email like it was a pack of cigarettes. After coming out of our relationship series, Busted, which we we just finished, I think it's important to address how technology addresses uh, our marriages and our families. So I want to give you an example of a very common scenario in today's American home. It's an average weeknight in the suburbia of Hillsboro. Our made-up family consists of a husband named Jack, his wife Kate, and their two kids, Sally and Johnny, ages 13 and 7. Dinner has recently been served, and the family enjoys it in front of the television. After dinner, Dad continues to wind down in front of the TV. Mom goes to the family computer to check her email and probably go on Pinterest. 
Sally grabs her iPhone and begins text messaging her friends. And Johnny is off to his room where he plays Xbox until bedtime. A recent, or a very common picture, I think, in a lot of our homes. So in a recent study of young professional couples, researchers in L.A. calculated that the average amount of time they actually engaged in conversation was 35 minutes a week. A week. John Gottman's book, Principles for Making Marriage Work, which I know Jared has, has spoken on, uh, mentioned from the front before, there's a really great quiz in the back, just as a little resource for you, uh, for you couples in particular, where you can take it together regarding electronic distractions in your relationship and kind of find out how the other person perceives you, if you're on it too much. If it's really fascinating. So I just wanted to recommend that as well. But some pros, I want to be positive here. Technology has some amazing things, and I, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm, I'm so grateful for the technology that we have. Uh, there's so many pros. The communication aspect, like this morning I forgot something, and I was able to text my husband, like, hey, can you bring that? And he wrote back, okay, you know, kind of, I don't know, any of you wives or husband, okay. <laughs> um, or, hey, can you pick this up at the store, or a prayer request, or being able to keep track of your kids when they're at a football game or whatever. I mean, that, that, that safety and solace, right, as a parent, for them to have a cell phone to get a hold of you. Wonderful things. Music, we can worship anywhere at any time. The ability to take photos of everything and have amazing memories. So there's a lot of wonderful things that technology gives us. But I also feel like we need to be realistic about the cons. Constant access to work through technology is hurting us. There's so many studies out there, I couldn't even narrow it down to one. But if you go on and you can look and see that work is rarely ever left at work. It is constantly in our pockets and therefore on our minds. We are constantly accessible by email, by text or whatever to, to our work. Also, it's a lot harder to keep track of what our kids or our spouse are being exposed to with the technology addiction that we have. In 2010, 47%, so almost half of families in the U.S. reported that pornography was a problem in their home. And I'm pretty sure that that percent has gone up significantly because of the technology access as opposed to the way it was maybe you know, 40 years ago. Another con is it's so distracting. 25% of cell phone owners in a marriage or partnership have felt their spouse or significant other was distracted by their cell phone while they were together. There's actually also another really funny comic where it's like a wife sitting across from her husband at the diner, and he's looking at his phone, and she's like, if I tape that to my head, will you pay attention to me? (laughs) Funny, sad, you know. So there's this old cliche, right, of the husband. I don't know if you remember the husband behind the newspaper was sort of the cliche that people back in, you know, I don't know, maybe it was only like the 80s, I don't know, <laughs> they would read the newspaper and the dad would be checked out, right? I don't know if you've seen a Christmas story and the dad's reading the, the newspaper and the dogs come in and they take his turkey and he doesn't even realize it till it's over. Well, now I think that cliche has been replaced by husband or wife on their phone, playing Candy Crush, scrolling through Facebook, whatever it may be. So we've heard a lot of information this morning about why simplifying our schedules is so important to God. 
But now I want to suggest, about, suggest to you all how we could simplify our time, how we could better use our time through three practical solutions. And those three are on your handout. The first is this. Make your yes count. Or I like to say, get comfortable saying no. If any of you are, are like me, you may have a tendency to want to please people and to say yes to everything. I think the Lord would have us pause and figure out what we need to say yes to and what we need to say no to. What are, what are the big rocks? Recognize your limits. You are not superhuman. If it fits in the planner, it doesn't mean you should do it. The second is this. Identify the most important. And when you identify the most important, making your yes count and saying no to things is going to become a lot easier. It's going to be a lot clearer. So identify the most important. Who do you want to become? Who or what in your life is non-negotiable? And the third, limit your technology. And I'm not just saying that for this week for our challenge, but truly thinking about being more self-aware and cautious about how we use our technology. It was funny because in the 8 a.m. service, millennial, right, speaking about technology, and, and, I, and most of the people in there don't have phones, or if they do, they have a smartphone, and they don't really know how to use it. And they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, a phone starts ringing in the 8 a.m. service, and everyone starts busting up laughing. And the, the lady was like, no one ever calls me. <laughs> it was so cute. So... I just, she felt so bad, but I, it just made me laugh because I think, yeah, we do. We got to be more careful about our technology. We got to limit our technology. We need to recognize where technology is ruling our life and set some boundaries. Maybe you need to delete some apps. I know preparing for this week, I decided for the last five days, I deleted my Facebook and my Instagram app just so that I couldn't look at it at ridiculous times like when I go to the bathroom or when I'm at a stoplight or, <laughs> I mean, it's, and I realized it. I mean, how I would reach for that and go and, oh yeah, it's not there. It's not there. So maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to ban phones during mealtime. I know my husband and I, we try to not have our phones at the table during dinner time. Date nights, you don't need to document everything you do. You can enjoy the moment. Um, Maybe, maybe you need to get rid of some iPads. Like maybe every child doesn't need an iPad. Maybe they could all share one. So we need to be cautious and start thinking about how we can limit our technology. For those of you who are readers like me, I just wanted to give a couple suggestions if you wanted to continue to explore this topic a little more. The first is the five choices, the path to extraordinary productivity. There's a whole chapter. Chapter number four is dedicated to this idea of ruling your technology, not letting your technology rule you. And then the second is by Jen Hatmaker, which is uh, seven, an experimental mutiny against, against excess. And we thought we had it bad because we, or okay, maybe I should speak for myself. I thought I had it bad because I had to do these challenges for a week at a time. This family, the whole family, husband and her, her kids, did these things for a month at a time. And they would get rid of techn- all technology for a whole month, or they would um, only eat seven foods for the whole month. And so she has seven chapters of seven things that they, that they did to get rid of excess in their lives as a family. And it's funny. It's challenging. It's a great read. So I got a text from a friend just a, a few weeks ago, and she's a wonderful young woman that I've been mentoring for several years. And she had been watching a documentary, and she texted me this quote. She said, what do you think this means? 
and it was this. Sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. Sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. And I think that's the point of these participation challenges for each week is that we don't want to just have a nice sentiment. We actually want to do something. We actually want to take action. We want to be transformed for Christ. We want um, our schedules, our agendas, our lives to be laid barren before the Lord. And like that game of operation, just have them go in and take some stuff out. Sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. So here are three participation challenges uh, that uh, we're going to offer this week. The first is maybe you need to remove all TV and movies, Netflix, Hulu, all that. And I I wanted to make a a quantifying statement here that that doesn't mean you DVR all of them and then next week you spend 24 hours binge-watching all of them. (laughs) Kind of hurts the point. The second thing is give up talk radio, news, and music. So um, I know my husband, he has a long commute every day. He spends an hour and a half of his day commuting to work. And so he, like, his second wife is NPR. Like, he loves NPR, and he listens to it all the time. And so I'm like, maybe this would be a good one for you to give up. I'm always thinking about how other people can do something. And then the third is eliminate all social media. So just for the week, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you need to eliminate that from your daily routine for the next week. So as we move into communion, I want to just have us take a moment and reflect with Jesus on what we just heard on, on having a conversation with God about what is it that I need to lay down? What is it that I need to reprioritize? Where Am I focusing on the sand and the pebbles? What needs to go away? What needs to be restructured? Ask him if you need to be granted forgiveness for how you utilize technology or just wasted time. Time is so precious and so valuable. And it is truly our greatest resource. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us, God, to to understand that you want to direct our time because we do become what our calendar is full of. Lord, give us your eyes. Help us to filter our schedules through you first. Lord, if we need to go home and just lay hands on our planners, I pray that you would help us to do that. God, give us your wisdom and your direction Lord, it isn't our time. We're on your time. We're breathing because you gave us breath. Help us to not take advantage of anything that you've given us. Help us to maximize and utilize our time to the best of our ability. Not to be busy, not to do, but to be, to be in relationship with you. For those of us here this morning who just need to slow down, God, I pray that you would help us do that, help them to figure out what that would look like to just slow down. And for those of us who might be lazy and we just need a kick in the pants, God, I pray that you'd help us to do that as well. Lord, may our time be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lydia.